You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome back to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is episode 152. I'm your host, Joining me is Mike Worthley. Well, Mike, I am so glad you're able to make it. I really am appreciative of it. Uh, we're, we're down a little bit right now because Neil is on his way to Florida and and Mikey, who's joined us in the past, is unable to join us right now. And so I'm so glad you're you are. Good to know that I'm the third tier. No, no, you were number two, actually. <laughs> <laughs> My, Mikey took himself out of the running long before. But uh, no, no, you, you were number two. Neil got on a plane. So you and I, man, that's it. Sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, uh, later in the show, I'm going to put in an interview that we did with a fellow named Yossi Neiman. And Yossi is the founder of Dried.io, which is an iOS-connected dashboard cloud-connected camera. It's a very cool project, and it's really cool, and I hope it makes people safer drivers. So we're going to get to that. But before we do, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happened in the last week since we last talked. There's been a lot going on. And and Mike, you know, we are doing this just People know, we, we, we get comments from time to time about the quality of the podcast, and I appreciate it because I try and deliver the very best edits and the very best quality that we can recording-wise. Mike and I are not in the same room. Mm-mm. No. We are currently 5,877 miles apart. Yeah, I think people get the idea that Apple Insider is the shadowy conglomerate, and we all wear robes, and there's a 60-watt bulb hanging from an indistinct ceiling or something like that. And The, yeah, the first I mean, rule I mean, is you don't talk about the cabal, right? <laughs> I mean, Neil's in New York. I'm near Washington, D.C. Mikey Campbell is in Hawaii. Roger's in Texas. Malcolm is in Wales in the U.K. And today you are in Israel. We are a worldwide program. We are indeed. We address everything. Knowing that, I I want people to understand that if there is a delay in the audio, it's not because we're not trying. It's because we're very far apart (laughs) trying to bring the world a little bit smaller for you. Here we go. Good news is the iMac Pro has begun to ship. Yes, we've started to see uh, shipment emails, not just of our own for our own review, but from some of our readers as well. And, you know, it, when, when Apple begins to ship, they if they have stock on hand, they ship right away pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you'll get something that they estimate is going to be two weeks away and all of a sudden it's there two days later. Uh, yeah, and that, that's what we're looking at here too. This doesn't look like an iPhone situation where it's shipping straight from uh, from China. This is shipping from United States addresses. And as a note, and I know that this was covered last week on the Apple Insider podcast, but these are eight and ten core configurations because the fourteen and eighteen core processors aren't even shipping from Intel yet. So th- we'll see those later in two thousand and eighteen. But I'm excited to see what real-world benchmarks looks like. Uh, I know Apple seeded a bunch of influencers with them already, like MKBHD on YouTube, and and a couple of other developers and things had them, and they started to run them through their paces. But there's some interesting use cases for the machine. For instance, AVX 512 uh, vector processing makes a triumphant return to the Mac with the with the Xeon processor in it, which has has big implications for scientific calculations. The 128 gigabytes of RAM, you can you can edit 8K in real time with filters. It's an amazing machine. It's not for me, but it's an amazing machine. Well, one of the things that's interesting to me is that we know that Apple has a strong focus on augmented reality. Mm-hmm. And their demo at WWDC was about augmented reality and virtual reality and using the iMac Pro as a part of the tool set to create those kinds of realities, those kinds of worlds. And 
that's been something that's been missing. You know, if you wanted to try and do that in, in the past with a Mac, you were in trouble. You had to get a four-year-old Mac Pro and load it up with a new graphics card and hope that you had support. It's just kind of a nightmare. And that, that was sort of a territory that I think Apple seeded for a while. It, it, that's an interesting point that you bring that up because over here sitting in my eGPU box, I have a Vega 56 GPU in it. Maybe you can hear the fan noise and maybe you can't, but it, it's with that ability, with the increased focus on that with the iMac Pro and legitimate eGPU support, which will roll out fully in the spring, Apple has decided that they're going to actually jump into VR and AR a little bit more on the Mac side. It's, it's, it's immature. The drivers are still immature on the eGPU. I, I I actually want to get my hands in iMac Pro, and I'll have an opportunity to to visit a buddy who will have one next week, so I can actually play with it for a few minutes. But we'll see. Uh, like I said, I'm excited about the possibilities of the machine, but yeah, it's just wow, it's way out of my budget. Well, it, it is, but are you doing AR professionally? Not at this time. So yeah, I'm fully aware that there's no need for me to have the absolute fastest Mac ever made. There's there's just no call for it for for me. Yeah. And and what is the retail price? What are they asking? These are five thousand dollar systems, basically. Yeah, it's four thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars for thirty two gig for thirty two gig RAM, uh, the eight core machine running at three gigahertz, which will speed up to four point five gigahertz on a single core process. Uh, one terabyte of SSD, uh, which goes up to three gigabytes per second transfer, and that's five grand. Uh, but that in the future that will go up to thirteen thousand five hundred with a maxed out 18 core machine. You know, what's nice about this is we, we've got a renewed focus on desktop machines that we haven't seen from Apple in a while. This is a, this is a double-edged sword. The, the pros, I'm going to put that in quotes because the definition of pro varies greatly. Who's a pro? Am I a pro? Because I use this to make money, but I don't need an iMac pro. I mean, everyone's got a different use case for these machines. So now we have a machine where Apple has decided to throw heavy iron at it and the complaints have already started about it. The, it's too expensive. It it doesn't have what I need. It doesn't have an AMD processor. It's not expandable. Okay. Well, so those complaints are all answerable, right? Expensive. Well, yes. Yeah. Equipping with iron costs. That, that's just kind of how it works. The AMD processor has not yet proved to be necessary. You know, you, you know, and I know that Apple has compiled OS 10 to work with AMD processors. Oh, They're sure. prepared in the instance that they need to jump ship. But as far as they can determine, there's simply been no need. Intel's a good partner. Intel's providing the parts they need for the most part. Uh, not always addressing every user complaint like the MacBook Pros that people were a little bit unhappy with in terms of RAM support upper limits. Mm-hmm. But for the large, in large part, Intel has done the job fine. Uh, upgradability, it's an iMac. The iMac has never been considered an upgradable machine other than storage or RAM. Well, there are other, there are other factors to consider with that too. People talk about why well, I need a machine with a CPU that's upgradable. Apple's never allowed that. Apple has never allowed that. It's, it's always been a third party option that people have sometimes done, you know, in the power PC days or the people taking the processors out of Mac minis and putting in better processors, right. but right. it's, it's never been an officially sanctioned thing for sure. So, and, and to be clear, the processor is socketed on the iMac Pro, and so is the RAM. It's just there's no door to conveniently get at it. I I understand where the average Apple Insider reader probably wants an upgradable machine, but we have to realize that we are not Apple's primary customer anymore. And I've spoken about this on this podcast before, and I'm not going to dive into it too deeply. But the iMac Pro, I think, has got more to do with Apple's enterprise customers than it has to do with Apple Insider readers. Yeah, if you're buying an iMac Pro for business, 
to support an, a, a function of your job, you're going to buy it fully configured. And the the days of having to have, you know, you learn how to open the RAM door and upgrade the RAM or to have an IT person come around and do it aren't necessarily always going to be there. Yes, it's, it's kind of annoying if you think you're just going to buy RAM on the cheap and save some bucks. But if you're trying to do this for work uh, and you've determined that this is the machine that fills your need, there's there's no reason to be fooling around for the $50 savings on a $5,000 machine. Right. I'm, I'm kind of a data hoarder and people who know me, that doesn't come as a big surprise. Perish the thought, like I right? have no idea, right? So as a result, I have a lot of abstracted data from my days doing service and data with clients that I've supported. And over time, in, in when I was doing a lot of service in the early part of the 21st century, it's maybe one in a hundred customers would come in who had who are seeking an upgrade or had done an upgrade or something like that. Maybe one in a hundred. And I can't imagine that that number is higher now. I mean, it can't be because of Apple's desire to not have you upgrade your machines. So even in the heyday of upgradable machines with slotted G with, with socketed G4 processors and PCIe slots and, and Ram and a door that folds down very, very few people were actually upgrading their machines even then. And you can say that maybe my numbers were right because people could have done their own repairs and maybe not. So I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll quadruple that number. Let's say one in 25. It's that just, still wasn't I, your I bread and butter job. That's not where you that, made your money. Right. That's, that's not uh, upgrading is a big thing for Apple insider readers. And I get that. I completely understand that, but we are not the majority, not by a long shot. I mean, it's how people like other world computing built their business off of it. Right. But. Right. I mean, I dig upgrading. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'm kicking a, 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 a 5.1 Mac Pro tower down here that I've done unholy things to it, but it's that day's over. The, the day is done. Like it or not, the day is done. And it's not just Apple that's doing this. It's, it's, if you look at machines across the board, there are very, very few upgradable machines actually being sold anymore. So, and that's okay. Yep. It's okay. That's all right. Well, it's gotta be, we, we don't have a choice. It's gotta be. And, and frankly, with the Mac Pro that Apple confirmed in the press release announcing that the Mac, the iMac Pro is shipping, they still didn't say it was coming out in 2018. They said that they were working on it. When they, when they talked about it in April, they said that it wasn't this year. Yeah, so there's... That, that for sure doesn't mean 2017, but it also doesn't mean 2018. You know, the old rule for when something was shipping and they would say they would announce at a keynote and it will be shipping by the end of the summer. And you might get it at the end of September, right? right? It was the very last opportunity for someone to say, well, maybe that was actually the end of summer, right? And it wasn't that it was late. It was just that it was pushed to the very last moment. And, and so I'm not fussed about that. We'll get them when we get them. And hopefully they'll fill someone's need at that time. We expect and, that and they I probably think, will. Yeah. yeah. And I think at some point we have to have a conversation about what modular Mac Pro means. Yes, we still have no good idea what that actually means. And you, you could say that your MacBook Pro with an eGPU well, that's that's somewhat modular, isn't it? Uh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, that fits in the definition of <laughs> modular. Uh, Is that what they I'm mean? Concerned, Not necessarily. I, I'm concerned that Apple Insider readers have this vision of Apple restoring the XMAC concept. Anyone remember that? Oh, dear God. Where you have a mini tower and you have PCIe slots, so you can swap in components to your heart's content. I don't think that's what we're going to get at all. So we'll yeah, see. We, we got something to figure out and look forward to here, don't we? Yep, we sure do. Speaking of things that we need to talk about, so for ages and ages and ages, there have been, going back to, I want to say iOS 4. iOS 4 was a great example of this, where when you updated your iPhone, your iPhone felt slower. 
And especially mm-hmm. with the iOS 4 transition from your your, iOS, your iPhone 3 or 3GS, right? The iPhone 3 didn't get some of the features that iOS enabled on other devices like the iPhone 4 at that time. You know, multitasking wasn't available on an iPhone 3, even though you were running the same OS. And so people had this concept in mind that said that Apple is making my phone worse when I update the OS on it, that, that Apple is depriving me of features that other people get, which was true or that Apple is intentionally slowing down my phone. And the the rest of that sentence usually reads something like, Apple is intentionally slowing down my phone in order to push me to upgrade. Yeah, well, unsurprisingly, Victor, I have thoughts about this. Well, I, I know that you do. I, I would say, bef- I'm going to get my word in edgewise first. So oh, then please, you can watch. yeah, go ahead. <laughs> that turns out, and, and actually I was surprised, the first half of that sentence that Apple is intentionally slowing down my phone. We've always said that was false. For years, people have said that. And and we've always said that this is not true. Apple is not intentionally slowing down your phone when you upgrade the OS. And it turns out we weren't right. We were wrong. Apple is, it comes up. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. This is the problem. This is is a story. But this is is a story that I think has the potential to do a lot of damage to Apple's reputation. Because for years, we've said Apple is not slowing down your phones when you upgrade your OS. And it turns out that, that yes, they are, but not to force you to upgrade. It's not a conspiracy to make you throw out your phone and go buy a new one. That, That what we found is that Apple is slowing down older iPhones that have failing batteries, have aging batteries, and that this is to solve a problem that we saw with the iPhone 6, where your battery would get down to about 20% and then the phone would shut off. So now I'm going to go ahead and let you take over, Mike. I've taken up enough of your time. Go for it. (laughs) You've taken up my time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you some time. Well, look, here's the situation. Apple is not slowing down older phones that have perfectly functioning batteries. That's the complete statement. Apple is still not and has never slowed down your phone to buy to get you to buy a new phone. In fact, while Apple is slowing down your phone in a situation where the battery has been hammered with age or environmental conditions to prevent an undervoltage condition, which can actually damage your hardware, Apple is reducing the clock speed of your phone during that time period of reduced voltage so it does not shut down on you until you plug it back in and charge it for a while. So there are two choices here. Neither of them are great, but they're they're physical realities that Apple has all the money in the world and there's not much they can do. You you mean I have to obey the laws of physics, Mike? Doesn't that terrible? (sighs) It's just awful that we have to do that. Physics. So we've got one condition where low voltage condition, okay, the phone's going to shut down, done, boom, no more phone, sorry. Go go home and plug it in, and then you'll be fine in an hour. Or the other situation where, okay, you can't play Bejeweled quite as fast as you used to, but you still have the phone. Your phone still functions. Where the big flaw is here, and the issue that I have with this here, and the issue that I'm really upset with Apple about on this, is disclosure about this. With the 10.2.1 upgrade, that's when all this this battery clocking came in. And Apple said that they fixed the the, sh- the unexpected shutdown problem. They didn't talk about when. They didn't talk about how. They didn't talk about possibilities. They didn't talk about how you could fix the problem if you experience this slowdown all the time. They didn't acknowledge that there's a slowdown at all. They just said they fixed the problem. Yeah, there, there was never any acknowledgement that there was slowing anything down. They simply said that there was a problem where phones that had older batteries would would shut down at 20% or 30%. And if you saw that, you know, you could go bring it into the Apple store. And then they issued a 10.2.1 and said that they've solved this issue. What 
Yeah, and that, and that's great, and it's it's fantastic they issued the patch because other vendors are like, yeah, your phone's shutting down, tough crap. Right, You're unexpectedly shutting down anyway. is not a great experience. I agree. So I I what you'd wished for here was some acknowledgement of a few things, right? Let me let me guess, and you tell me if I guessed it right. Yep. Go ahead. So first, you would have liked acknowledgement that they were actually slowing down the processor. Yep. You would have liked them to explain that it was related to battery. Yep. And I'm guessing you would have also liked some notification that there was an issue with the battery, probably uh, yeah. somewhere in the, in I don't know, notification center, as opposed to necessarily burying it in settings battery. I think it needs, yeah, I think it needs to be a full on modal stop what you're doing. We've detected a problem with your battery and here's what we've done. Click here for more information and it will take you to an Apple support page explaining the situation in more detail. Now, I'm not talking molar calculations about cathodes and anodes and chemical depletion and filament formation or any of that crap. Well, you, you can, one of the things that happens is when you take your phone into Apple and you say to the genius, I think my battery's getting old. They can plug in and get diagnostic logs of what your battery charge cycle looks like. And they can say, right. you know, your battery is simply not holding as much charge as it did when it was new. And here's what the drop-off looks like. And they'll never really show right. you this chart. They'll kind of turn it away and shield your eyes from it, but I've seen it and it exists. And, and they know that when your battery's gone through a certain number of cycles, which is char- full charge to depleted, full charge to depleted, that it has an aging effect on the battery. Over time, batteries don't hold mm-hmm. as much energy. So when it reaches that point, and the Mac does this too, the Mac will say service battery soon or, or battery needs service, right? It'll tell you that you have an issue. Well, the Mac is way more transparent about this because it's up on your menu bar. Yeah. So, you know, there are some people that would have liked to have a toggle option that said, no, don't do this. I'd prefer to have the unexpected shutdowns. Let me have full power. Yeah, no, that that's the, un- the under voltage condition can actually damage iPhone hardware. So that's not that in no way is that. Acceptable. That's a great wish list idea. That's not reality. The, yeah. the, the other thing is like you say, a modal interaction that says before you go forward, Here's what's happened. We've detected this problem. Your battery is this old with this many cycles on it. It's just not going to work well. Go and change your battery, service your battery, or expect that you're going to have a slower phone to accommodate it. Yeah, I mean, some of this is on the Genius Bar too. Uh, The Genius Bar very much operates on scripts. Apple services always operated on scripts. Back in the day, you would have a problem flowchart where you would say, okay, you've got this problem, replace this part, then replace this part and replace this part and replace this part until you figure out the problem is. And you really didn't have a lot of leeway on that. Well, Apple stores and especially the Apple geniuses had early on. Uh, up until the hiring of John Broward from Dixon's. You remember that guy? Yeah, I do. I, I, and I know where you're going with this. They had a lot more latitude in terms of what they could do for a consumer in their store uh, for service before John Broward was hired. After his mm-hmm. hiring, yeah. things became a lot more stringent. The, the script got even harder I, 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 Yeah. Yeah, I think the problem is twofold. I think that Apple's a victim of its own success in that regard. I, I think that they used to have higher standards for geniuses than they have now. They used to take the geniuses and fly them out to California for, I think it was six weeks of training. They don't do that anymore. I, I think that there's a combination of factors that have led to this point, but th- there is Apple has a reputation for arrogance and Apple retail has a reputation for arrogance too. And when you come into the genius bar and say, look, this is my problem. You know, I, I think I've got a problem with this and I understand where they have to run through everything that they have to run through in accordance with their script, but they, they don't pay a whole lot of attention to users. Well, and part of the problem is that also that when, when you're the customer facing them in the genius bar, Mike, they have a real problem because you know stuff. You have well, knowledge. They used to scurry. And 
when, when Tyson's was one of the four Apple stores and I had something really recalcitrant that I had to bring in and get mm-hmm. fixed, they, they, they would literally scurry. Yeah, because no one wants to deal with Mike Worthley, who's got a problem that can't solve on his own. Because he knows stuff about what's actually wrong with it. If if it's you know someone who doesn't have that knowledge going in front of them, they can go ahead and run their script and they'll figure it out and it'll right. be fine. But when you actually know what you're doing, so I walk in with my phone, right? I've gone in with my phone under Apple Care a couple of times and said, "Here's mm-hmm. the problem." And by the way, I've already erased and started it fresh without restoring, so it's a brand new phone, and I'm still experiencing yep. the problem. And here's me demonstrating the problem. And they go, "You know what? You know exactly what you're doing. You're going to do the same things we were going to make you do and stand here for 40 minutes restoring your phone. Let's just go get you in the back." Oh, great! That's uh, that's fantastic. I think maybe it's just the volume of my stores here is the problem. Then, so so kudos to your Apple Store, but you know less less positive around here. It's, but you know it's it's the freaking Thunderdome in the Apple uh, Store. Raleigh Crabtree Volume Mall is on the spot. They're, they're good. <laughs> <laughs> good. But anyway, back to the original point, circling back to the original point. This is a communication, utter failure on Apple's part. This is Apple's failure to communicate the problem to geniuses, to have them deal with the situation in a more sane fashion. This is failure of Apple to communicate to users that, okay, look, your your battery is toast. We're sorry. It's the way it goes. It's a chemical process. You just kind of got to deal with it. Or you can bring in the phone for 79 bucks and get a new battery. And it's a failure communicating with venues like CNN and Apple Insider and everybody else to say, look, here's the situation. We shouldn't have had to get a statement out of the blue yesterday saying, well, this is our response. And this is this is several days, several days after Reddit and Geekbench published pieces about this. Well, I had a friend who two months ago had an iPhone 6 with the battery expanding. It had actually literally pushed the mm-hmm. screen right off of the, uh, the case on his iPhone. And yeah. it was bulging. I said, listen, that's not safe. It's not good to have a bulging yeah, battery yeah, go into the store. Yeah, and terrible. I made the appointment for him right there on my phone and sent him into the store. And he went into the store and he said, they, they charged me 80 bucks. And I said, that's fine. What they, what happened? Well, they changed the battery. Out. They changed the phone and it's so much faster. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so much faster. He had no idea. And I said, well, that's interesting that the phone is now faster with a fresh battery. He said, yeah, it really is. It's great. I was, I was so mad at iOS 11. And now he's happy. Well, yeah, and and I, and I know Apple Insider listeners and readers understand this, but if you see your friends and they've got a slightly slightly swollen screen, send them to the Apple Store and get it fixed. It doesn't matter that the phone still works; it's just going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Well, and this was not slightly. This was this fixed. was literally quite bulging. It had pushed the screen off of the case of the phone, and you could see the bulging battery. It was bad. Well, that's another physical reality. When when the battery has in, in certain failure conditions, the battery will off gas. And, and that's what caused the note seven flammability is this off gassing. So, and, and the puncture of the, and the puncture of the really resilient membrane outside the battery. So batteries are, are chemical processes. Batteries are physical processes. And frankly, they need to be respected. And what Apple has done to respect that is this throttle. Yeah, you're storing a lot of kinetic and, and, energy. You, that energy has to yeah, go somewhere. Yeah. Th- this is, I mean, Apple's sin is not that they did this. Apple sin is not telling anyone that they did this. Yeah. Uh, th- this is the, the poor communication is really what the problem is here. And the poor communication, my fear is what's going to haunt Apple for years to come. And, and because I, I think of that because I know people that have avoided buying music from iTunes for years because they were worried that iTunes had DRM and that they would only buy from the Amazon Music Store. And this is the year 2017, and I tried to explain that in 2009, Apple stopped putting DRM on anything, and they went ahead and made all of the purchases that people had made DRM-free. This is taken care Mm -hmm. of years ago. 
oh, no, no, I'm still not buying anything from Apple. I can't trust that it won't have DRM. <sighs> N-Gadget, N-Gadget's headline about this is Apple confirms that it is slowing down older devices. And that's what? what people are going to remember. And they're going to remember that for years and years to come. I mean, that that makes lots of clicks. No lie. That's kind of, that makes lots of clicks, but it's not accurate. It is not an accurate headline. It is, it is a true headline, but it is not an yeah, accurate headline. Story. And that's, and CNN has done the same thing and Fox has done the same thing and everybody's done the same thing. And now local news stations this morning, NBC four here in DC did, well, Apple's confirmed that if you have an older phone, it's slowing you down. Come on. And, and, and yeah, yeah, those break. guys are irresponsible, but I would say that Apple has shot themselves in the foot. This is, oh, yeah. this is, yeah. th those guys are irresponsible, but so was Apple. Yep. The root of the matter is Apple not communicating this well. And as far as the forcing you to buy a new phone, you know, what's going to force you to buy a new phone, your phone shutting down at random. You know, what's not going to force you to buy a new phone as much your phone slowing down on you. So, you know, you can scream to high heaven for whatever conspiracy theory you may have or whatever hate or love you have for Apple that this is or is not. But the truth of the matter is this is in a bad situation. This is the best of the choices. Well, the, the best of the choices would have been telling people what they were doing. <laughs> the best choices for physics was to slow it down, and not hurt the rest of the device and allow you to keep using it for a little longer. But but honestly, yeah, they they couldn't have popped up a dialogue. They couldn't have put something on the screen. Really? Yeah, that would have solved it. They monitor their battery enough. If you can, if you can slow down the process on your phone, you can tell the user. It's it's that simple. There there are no words. There really are no words. This. Well, I don't know. I think we just went through about two thousand of them. Yeah. So I mean, there there are words, but this is this is a damage control situation for Apple. It's not a great situation. You know, like I said, if you're listening to this podcast, you you either like Apple or you hate it, whichever, but you're not in that neutral middle part. That's just who we get for listeners. And and look at the situation and look at it objectively and realize that, yeah, it's a screw up, but boy, it could have been a whole lot worse. Well, I, I want a better Apple. I want an Apple that strives to do a little I harder. Do too. And this, this is a big miss. Yeah, I do too. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that I don't like. Apple, Like I said before, Apple's a victim of its own success. I, I wrote an article about a week and a half ago about Apple's quality assurance. And, and you know, it's possibly the most Mike article in the history of Mike articles that I, you know, I said that Apple needed a, a quality assurance system similar to what the Navy crash instituted. No, that's a terrible choice of words. But what the Navy instituted when it lost a submarine because of material failure in the early 60s, I, I, it's, it has to be that dramatic because of the sheer number of people that are using the devices and are using the software and rely on it for security and safety from a day to day basis. And this is related. This is a choice Apple made somewhere on the corporate level that maybe isn't the best choice for consumers. I agree. I, I so, so agree. I'm going to shift gears. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and put our interview with Dried right here in the middle. Sweet. I'll go get a coffee. Go get a coffee. I'm not going to do it right this second, but you get a coffee and we'll be right back. Welcome to this segment of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor and I'm here with Yossi. Hey. So Yossi, you are the founder of Dried. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the domain is dried.io. That's D-R-I-D-E.io. Now, I, I started speaking with you a year ago about uh, a dashboard camera project that you were working on. And at, at that time, I was doing crazy things like taking a Raspberry Pi and putting a camera on it and then running your app on the iPhone. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what's changed since then? Sure. So uh, we started um, two years ago, Dried as a company started two years ago, 
with the bigger vision of uh, shedding lights on uh, on road events and we just thought how can we take uh, events that happen on the road and today uh, just um, didn't get anywhere and make them uh, visible and uh, actionable so um, we've developed um, an operation system for uh, for dash cams uh, we call it dried OS um, and basically this OS allows um, you or any other maker to take a Raspberry Pi and just uh, with um, very limited uh, amount of work to put it on your windshield and uh, have a fully functional um, dash cam. Uh, so uh, you were one of the first uh, to actually try this. Um, uh, so basically the experience uh, was is uh, very slick. You, you just have an app. Uh, the app connects uh, with Wi-Fi to the dash cam and you can just see all the video clips that the dash cam uh, have taken. Um, we've also built uh, a beautiful case uh, to wrap uh, to wrap this uh, Raspberry Pi and make it easy to mount on the windshield. Um, and now we're basically announcing uh, Dry Zero, which is our second generation uh, of dash cam. Um, so basically, this takes all of the good th good things we learned uh, from the first uh, generation and basically make it way way smaller so this is what we call it dry zero obviously it's based on the raspberry pi zero um and the the size of this is just like the world's smallest dash cam um obviously it has all of the connected features um uh, we've been developing for the past two years so what i'm looking at on the windscreen here in this car that we're sitting in is a, a 3d printed cover with uh, mounting for the camera it it looks like a professional piece it looks like something that could go into production tomorrow yeah uh so dry zero uh is ready to go where um we've built build it um um to a to a deeper um level than the the first generation we've learned a lot of, on how to actually build manufacture uh, devices um, uh, this is something we didn't know how to do uh, last time we actually sell the dev kits uh, on the website uh, right now so uh, if you can wait to our uh, Kickstarter to be launched um, by the way it's going to be on uh, February of 2018 um, you can go ahead and just buy a dev kit online and we'll uh, send you one of this uh, cool 3d printed uh, models cool and so you've got the the OS You've got the enclosure and camera that wrap around the Pi Zero as the computing power. Yep. And you've got the app and the cloud infrastructure. That's right. So um, we, we believe that um, building a connected dash cam is all about um, the ecosystem. So um, you can have an amazing app, but if your camera uh, don't have the ability to, to share with a click of a button, you can even miss the point. And if you already share something and it just goes nowhere and you need to share, you know, uh, 300 megabyte of a file to your friends with, with WhatsApp, uh, then you missed, missed the point as well. And, and we believe that the people should be, um, uh, they, they should want to share. And the way, uh, we want to encourage them to share is by basically building a community around these videos. So if you share something and put it on YouTube and no one sees that, um, it's kind of a, takes the fun out of sharing videos. 
uh, we want we want some kind of continuity. So after you share the video, something should happen. And currently, what we're offering is basically the community can see these videos, discuss them, and um, hopefully we'll con- we'll will introduce uh, some many interesting. Uh, partnerships with uh, local police forces or local community managers uh, to see how we can uh, improve um, basically how people drive in their uh, in their area right so let, let's say 99% of the people drive perfectly 99% of the time yeah yeah e- except in Russia for the <laughs> dash cam videos or any evidence <laughs> that's right um, so this is just to to you know when you're talking about forwarding videos onto police or making them available to insurance companies it's for that one percent of one percent of the time that that someone behaves badly kind of thing sure yeah i think um i strongly believe and the data shows it that most of the drivers like the the vast majority of drivers are good drivers and uh they don't necessarily um know what to do with bad drivers and obviously police force can uh arrest or just we as a society don't have the tools to stop this kind of a behaviors for for this one percent who who drives recklessly and I believe that the only way we can do it is by just leveraging the enormous technology jump that we have we had in recent years um, you know to build something like this five ten years ago it was just uh, unrealistic um, and I think today with uh, with, with like putting dash cams Wi-Fi dash cams on on people's cars and just asking them nicely to share it um, I think um, it not, not necessarily we don't want put put people in jail that's not our mission we just want people to be aware that if you do something bad if you drive um, like a criminal someone will uh, might film you so I, I, I want to tell you a, a quick story about an experiment that was conducted in Israel um, uh, the the police took um, a road called the bloody road uh, that has 60 casualties per month uh, fatalities per month and they put a police car every mile uh, along this route for a week and the number of fatalities has dropped in 60 percent so like you need to understand that's actually life being saved um, that's not no gimmick and no uh, PR stunt people actually got to be with their family that evening instead of being dead so we know that if we put a police car in every corner um, we will stop this kind of a behavior but we just can't do this and hopefully with dried this vision becomes a reality it's interesting you remind me of something that, that we did back where I live which is the, the police realized that they couldn't put a police car everywhere that they needed to for, for situations like that. So what they did was they contacted the people that make props for Hollywood movies, mm-hmm. and they made fake police cars, and they parked fake police cars that were props out in the... Yeah, uh, the, and I'm the, sure it helped. It did help. Yeah. For example, you can see uh, tricks like that. People just... Uh, the, the, the government puts uh, lights, uh, green, uh, like uh, blue and uh, red, just to scare you off and people immediately take their... Everyone uh, hits the brakes, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, by, by the way, that, that the first generation of dry was white. So what, what we thought is by putting it white, uh, people will see it in the rear view mirror and know, okay, this guy in the back has a dried, I'll drive better. Uh, which didn't work out, uh, but but basically, I think the the notion that someone might film you and upload it to a place that uh, will eventually you don't want it to to get there uh, will do the trick. So, how do people get a, a dried? And th- there are a lot of people working on different things in the car. And where does dried fit within the car? Within all of these other things working within the car? 
Yeah. So basically, we've built Dried as an open source uh, project. So our goal is uh, not only to uh, sell Dried with our software, but to uh, make other manufacturers implement our software in their uh, dash cams. And by doing that, basically, we're opening um, a door for developers to integrate with Dried OS regarding of what hardware um, the, the dash cam is running on. So basically, for example, if you have a kind of a, um, reverse, uh, monitor, uh, it will, it, it can just get integrated into dried, uh, dried OS, uh, and then basically just improve the quality of, of the product or any other kind of, uh, car gadget that currently, um, will fail as a standalone project, but product, but if it will be able to connect to something with more processing power, um, you know, some kind of centralized, uh, interface for, for, um, for use, uh, I think this will be a game changer in the car. How is Dried different? Yeah. So basically you have a lot of dash cams today on the market. Um, some looks better, some worse, some cheap, some expensive. Um, but I think the, the, um, what we, we need to, the way we need to see Dried is basically a connected dash cam. And, um, to be a truly connected dash cam, we believe that the, the, the essence here is how do you take the video that the camera taken uh, and share it with your friends. So basically, this is this is what we believe um, a connected dashcam should do. And uh, the dashcam is in today market. Other than being, um, some have apps that you can just uh, log into the dashcam and see the videos, but it they weren't designed um, specifically to share. They just want to sell you a dashcam give you a way, an easy way to access it, uh, and that's it. If you think about why, why all most of the, the dash cams has screens, it's because they just want to give you an AUI to, to deal with it, uh, to, to change the settings and, and, and all of other options to see videos. Uh, if you think about it, you don't need screen uh, in your dash cam. It's just completely useless, but they do it because they, well, you need to change the settings, you need to do it. And it's a well, very weird and bizarre way to build a product, but that's reality. Um, other than that, we, we think that a dash cam should be, uh, seamless. And this is how we've developed Dry Zero. We basically try to design it and make it look invisible. Um, and I think uh, if you just compare it with other dash cams on the market today, you'll see a big and substantial difference on basically, um, you, you, you get something like a GoPro on, on these cameras. Uh, and on the contrary, in Dry Zero, you just have a super small, uh, package when all you see is the button uh, that you're supposed to press. So basically, um, smaller and connected. That's that's the two main features. Okay. What happens when the worst happens? What 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 is the process when someone hits your car? Yeah. So I think maybe we can even take a step back. I, you just imagine you're driving with your family. Your kids are on the back, and suddenly someone just cuts you on the road almost kill everyone and you just you you know you know until today the only technology you could use is just to honk maybe curse maybe not because your kids are are at the back but uh you didn't really have any anything to do uh but imagine a world that you do have a dried install all you need to do is just reach out press the button when you press the button uh a lot of things happen basically um the device notifies your phone that an event has occurred the camera saves the date 
um, that the event has occurred and transfer the video of this event to your mobile phone. So you can choose either you want to share it immediately to the Dried Cloud and then share it with the community, share it with your friends later on, whatever you want. Or you can just um, wait uh, and upload it when you're at home on Wi-Fi. So basically you have the control. The most important thing is the video is never lost. So the, the second you press on the button, the video is, is there. It will not get deleted. It's transferred to your phone uh, when it can. And basically you have the power uh, to and, and control of who sees this video, when it gets uploaded, what metadata you want to include. You want to include GPS. You don't want to include GPS. Um, another cool feature is you can just post it as anonymous. So for example, if you want to um, upload a video of a bad driver and you don't want him to, I don't know, come to your house, see you, or you just don't feel, want to feel uh, bad about it, uh, you can just toggle the anonymous um, switch and just no one will know, will never, will ever know it was you. Uh, and this is, by the way, a feature we, we believe that um, a lot of people will use because um, people are okay with the, the the idea of sharing reckless drivers, it, it will be just best if it weren't them who share it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, so the idea of making it anonymous will increase the amount of people who are willing to share. Right, right. And I think eventually people will lose it. Like, if you think like the internet back in the days where um, people were using aliases and basically usernames and no one will use the, the real, real face or a little picture and uh, eventually Facebook came and then all those social media platforms and you, you, you use your f- name today on, online, wherever you go. And I think this will, this is what happened will drive. First, people will be afraid when, uh, eventually they'll, they'll see that their videos gets popular and, uh, people are discussing of, uh, some kind of, uh, I, I don't want to be too, um, um, too big and just say that we will change the way people drive in the world. <laughs> um, I certainly hope so, but I think it's a process. But I do think we will give people uh, the option to do something about it. And I think this is, um, this is an interesting point because today, um, even if you have a dash cam and just to take this event and you know, you, you need to take your SD card, connect it to your computer, so troublesome. Um, and so, so you just give up eventually. And I think that if you give people an option, you give them, um, an option to help, stru- help the struggle and help, um, get all these drivers off the roads. I think they will use it. Uh, I, again, I'll, we already have uh, a ton of users who use it and we see how uh, the impulse button, that's the button you click to share, is increased um, conversion and people upload much more videos uh, having this button. Um, so I think um, ha- like giving people a choice, giving people the, the option will make, uh, will make, uh, will make this, uh, this, you know, subject a reality. So who should buy one of these? Yeah, so um, basically we've built Dried uh, as an open platform, but it's not necessarily meant for makers. Makers will find it uh, very familiar because we use a Raspberry Pi as uh, the, the processing power for the unit along with other electronics. But you don't necessarily have to be a maker in order to use Dried. Uh, we're very, very focused on UI um, and basically the experience is so slick and so seamless. Um, and uh, you'll not need to, um, 
SSH into the device just to take a picture. That's not our goal. But if you are a maker uh, and you love making things on your own, um, I encourage you to go ahead on Dried.io and just uh, download the software right now and use it on your Raspberry Pi. Uh, if you like it, just go ahead and buy a kit and put it in your car. Right. What I'm thinking about is, is so is this something that I should get from my wife and her car? Is, is this something that we should put in my mother-in-law's car or my father-in-law's car? I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a, a, quick, a quick story. My wife um, got her driver license four months ago. True story. Um, I'm not that young, but uh, well, she, she, she was afraid of it. Yeah, you live in a city where you don't need to anyway, drive and there's yeah, no place yeah. to park anyway. Uh, yeah, you're right. So, um, so I, I, she was user number one. I put a drive zero in her, uh, in her car. Three days after, she came back home so excited. She thought, someone al almost killed me. Check out this video. Uh, and obviously, she's not the most techie guy, techie person uh, in the world. And uh, she found what she can do with it. Um, and I think your wife or mother-in-law or, or any other family member um, will find this uh, product useful. Uh, first and foremost, even without the impulse button, I think a dash cam is a necessary um, things to have. I mean, in Russia, it's like 100% of people have dash cams for other reasons. Um, in the States, it's less popular. Uh, and I think that's about, that's about to change. That has to change because, um, even though, um, insurance is great and you don't have a corrupt policeman to, to, um, protect you from, I think, um, this is just a protection you need to prove when you're not at fault. And, uh, this is something most Americans don't have today. And I hope, uh, they will have, uh, in the future. So anyone should have dried, um, in, no matter if you're techie or not techie, no matter if you use the impulse button or not. And my advice to you is buy two because dried will work both on the windshield and, uh, on the rear. Uh, windshield as well, so uh, they will just sync uh, together, and you you will just get a, a more complete uh, view of the road and and uh, of the next of of the accident. Fantastic. Well, thank you. So, our listeners should go to dried.io. Yeah. If you're interested in buying a kit, you can just go to dried.io. You have a store button there, link, and just uh, you can order online uh, right now. If you wanted to wait. Uh, and to the final product, uh, we're launching a Kickstarter on February 18. So just go to our website, subscribe to our mailing list. We'll let, we'll let you know, uh, when we're out. Um, and for the makers, uh, we're encourage you to go to drydo.io slash docs and, um, just download the drydos and use it with your Raspberry Pi today. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Yossi. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So this is something that's that's interesting, and it's interesting because this is something we've seen happen again and again throughout the history of, of desktop operating systems a little bit. And we've seen it with the ideas. So so first of all, I want to go back in history, and I want to cite BOS. <laughs> BOS was a thing that was around in, in 96, 97, 98, 99 kind of time frame. And BOS got purchased by, uh, by Palm, essentially, by 3Com. And then 3Com sold off the software assets to a company called Access. And there was, for a time, a mobile OS, a mobile phone OS powered by BOS that would have given us complete full multitasking, uh, independent multitasking, independent processing, the whole thing in a phone, touchscreen, about two and a half, three years before iPhone existed. And it was brilliant. And it got killed by Access. 
But the idea was that you had a desktop operating system and a mobile operating system based off the same core that could run some of the same applications. And we almost got it. It almost existed. Yeah. And then, and then we had Windows 7, no, Windows 8, Windows 10. And Windows 8 and Windows 10 allowed people to compile applications and just as a checkbox, make it for the desktop and for mobile at the same time. And now we have rumored Apple's project Marzipan. And Marzipan, if that code name is at all correct, is a way to allow iOS apps to run on the Mac. It is. That, that is an accurate statement. But I think, I think that the original source of the story of Mark Gremmel and Bloomberg, I think he, he is misinterpreting the intent of the project. I, I think if, I think that Apple's got Mac OS and iOS ready to go on toasters. Mm. I think that they've got compilations for every possible microarchitecture that they could get their hands on. And uh, this is an architectural thing. And Apple has started doing this kind of thing and migrating to a common code base. And they started doing it with Xcode. I mean, do you think that Apple, out of the benevolence of their heart, told developers to start using Xcode about a decade ago? Or, or you just think recently said, you know, encouraging Swift? Or, or encouraging Swift? I mean, this is this is a convergence to a common code base. And they have always said that iOS is, is a branch of, 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 at the time, Mac OS 10. Now it's Mac OS, but whatever. You know, a branding and repetition and branding is a, stu- is a story for another day. Right. So German's suspicion, German's proposition here is that Apple is going to do this to blur the lines between them and increase software offerings on Mac. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's it at all. And we, I, we take I issue with that as the purpose. That's not the yeah, purpose. I don't think that's it at all. So what, what I think this is, I think this is a common code base. I think this is to say, look at our new MacBook with the A whatever series processor. Congratulations. It's Mac OS. You can run all your old apps. I don't think this has anything to do with building up the Mac Mac OS app store, which is, you know, admittedly kind of sad. I I think this has everything to do with Apple's future in two or three or four years. Well, we've always talked about how the the future of computing as as Apple has seen it and as they've talked about it has been that the iPad is the computer, that Mm -hmm. the iPhone is the computer, that you use a Mac when you need to do something heavy duty. And, you know, in every kind of, of screenshot that they use in the retail stores, for example, they always use full screen, just like you'd see if you were on an iPad. And so this is, again, more blurring the lines and more making things more uh, similar across the lines than different. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot to do. A lot was made of the of the a, of the A11 of the A11 Bionic processors benchmarks when they came out, how they're nearly as fast as a MacBook Pro or faster than a MacBook Pro. But benchmarks never, ever tell the whole story. The A series processor, you can't really the architecture isn't really designed to take two A11 processors and have them operate in tandem. So as far as a multi-core beast like the iMac Pro or even the 15-inch MacBook well, Pro. Well, they are multi-core beasts inside the A11, well, by right? They've got the 6 but, and the 2 going on there. Yeah, by themselves, but they, they won't really coordinate. Because of the architecture, they won't really coordinate with another A11 in the same hardware. Right. So, yeah, while well, I agree with your assessment that they are multi-core beasts by themselves, they're not going to be multiple processors scattered all over a machine, at least with the current architecture. That may change, but with the current architecture, that's not really that possible. So I agree. People need trucks. I like having a truck, but other people don't need trucks. Like the iPad gave the internet back to the senior citizens of my family, mm-hmm. as opposed to sitting at their Packard Bell that they had in 90, whatever. Yeah. Their gateway 2000. This is, yeah, this is, well, this is a, a an existing move. If the, if the report is accurate and I have no reason to believe that it's not given that Apple has always had 
things going on on other processors. This is this is a move toward the future of a converged future where your software is interchangeable on a certain platform that Apple deems it so. Yeah. I don't think this is going to mean that a Mac software with the flip of a switch will work on iOS. And I don't think this is going to mean that iOS software with the flip of a switch is going to work on Mac OS. And like I said, I don't think this has anything to do with the renovation of the Mac App Store. This is the future. This is a bridge of the future. See, I, I kind of thought about it like this. If people use storyboards in Xcode, then they can make things that work for iPhone and iPad. And if you make another storyboard, you can work for Mac OS potentially. Right. You know, it's, it's just a matter of making your app compatible across all the different deliverable platforms. Oh yeah, I'm not saying that that's not possible with this because it, I mean, if the if the reports are accurate, it, it clearly is. It's just not the end game. It's not it's not the whole story. No, you know, I keep looking at at development on iPad and thinking about what that's like. You know, we have Swift Playgrounds. What's it take to get to an Xcode on iPad? What's it take to be able to you know compile applications directly on an iOS device and then distribute them to the store? And it takes Apple's willingness. Right. But I don't think that future is that far away. Uh, it, I don't, I, it could be tomorrow if Apple wanted it to be, I think. I just don't think right now Apple wants that future today. Uh, people say that Apple, they don't plan well, but I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think that Apple has a 10-year plan. And I think that of the beats that they've wanted to hit for the last 15 years, I think they've hit them all. Mm-hmm. The you know various hardware platforms begat other hardware platforms, which begat software platforms, which begat services, and 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 that's where we're at right now. But there is there always has to be something in the future, and Apple can't, Apple can't wait on Intel. Apple Intel hasn't hit their well hasn't hit their milestones not by a long shot. And and the notion that an A series processor like the A11 Bionic could be used in a 12 inch MacBook seems entirely possible. Sure, I mean, I, I think that the user base will revolt if they can't use their Mac software on a Mac branded machine. And I don't think the, I, I don't think the iPad heavy users will be that excited about an iPad with a mandatory attached keyboard. Okay. But hold up. Cause I want to, I want to explore this for 10 seconds. Sure. Go you're, ahead. you're, uh, the, the elderly folks in your family mm-hmm. have moved away from the need for a keyboard and have, have yep. gone iPad only as their computer. Yep. The kids in my family, one of them has access to a MacBook. And uses it for a couple of things that work better in the browser than they do on the iPad. Uh, sure. Uh, Rosetta Stone Online is, is one example of that. Okay. But for the most part, they are they are phone and, I, and iPad only. They're iOS only. Yeah. And so one proposition is that, you know, the you use the computing environment that you grow up with and what that environment becomes. You know, th- this used to be a thing in schools, right? If you had... Uh, Microsoft Office on every machine in school, the kids all used Office, and then they all went to work and used Office at work kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it, so so p- there's a whole generation of kids growing up using mobile, mobile devices and iPads, and that's what the future looks like of computing for them. I, I don't disagree. So this this future where Apple moves things to mobile processors and some devices have keyboards built into them and some don't, but they all work similarly in software is is how they view this progression of computing and computing future which is why i think that marzipan is the bridge to that future yeah what's interesting about it is that historically when we see a leak like this that it becomes reality it ships within about two to four years 
Yeah, I tend to agree on that. I mean, the the first inklings that Apple was considering Intel, an Intel shift start submerged, uh, submerged surface around 2004. And it wasn't until 2006 that it actually happened. But even before then, Next Step was available with an Intel build. Oh, so oh, OS the writing 10, was on the wall. OS 10 beta stuff was available for Intel well before that. I mean, you couldn't run betas on Intel, but uh, I ran Darwin. I thought that was 2005. Yeah, the, uh, the, that's when the betas for 2005 with the, the iMac changeover, because that was the... Uh, the the Mac world in 2006. Two, no, 2005. It was 2005. Was it 2005? Macworld 2005. Well, the shift in 2006. That's right. right. But Macworld 2005 when they announced the MacBook Pro and the iMac. Yep. And they announced the shift. That's right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. But but back in 2001, I had Darwin running without the uh, the OS 10 interface, but the underlying core of OS 10 running on t- Intel. Yeah. The next yeah with the next step core. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah. I mean, the writing was on the wall clearly before the shift. I mean, it was so. The 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 com the, pre- the the prevailing wisdom that it was a big surprise by Apple when they rolled out the Intel shift it, it really wasn't a huge surprise. Well, and the PowerPC shift to Intel as well, the Rosetta shift, right? That that we heard about Rosetta right. for a while before that, and the same is true mm-hmm. of of mobile devices. So for years we wrote about the rumored tablet that Apple's making, and here at I, Apple Insider we covered that for years, going back to like two thousand three, two thousand five. Yep. And it wasn't until 2009 that we saw the phone. And what had happened was that they'd been working on the tablet all along and then shifted gears to make it a phone and then only came back and and made the iPad later in 2010. (laughs) Right. And this goes back to my begat, 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 like something from the Bible, the Silmarillion. I mean, that's what I'm saying is that timing wise, when we hear about something and publish it, you can expect to see it as reality in about two to four years. Yeah, some version of it, an iteration of of the leak that we had. Yeah, comes comes down a little bit further down the road. Yeah, this isn't a tomorrow technology. Bloomberg uh, Bloomberg said that they expect something at WWDC, and maybe it will, and maybe it won't. I, I don't know, but the developers do have to have a heads up on an architecture shift for there not to be mass chaos. Well, so what happens is that that you have to do something right, and so you can do a surprise announcement. But if you're going to do a surprise announcement, you have to have seeded it among a specific set of developers that you can say, by the way, right. we've got Adobe on board. We've got Microsoft on board. We've got these people on board and their stuff already works on it. And they'll demonstrate it. I mean, can you ever actually say you have Adobe on board before these shifts? Adobe has always taken forever to properly shift over to new architecture. They the showed Adobe running on OS X in 2001 when they announced the beta. Yeah, man. ready to ship and running are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. But saying they're on board, that's you can a, that's do. That's a fact. You can do. That's a fact. Uh, the other thing that you can do, besides having a a small cadre of companies on board in the first hand when you launch, is to also lay forth here's how the migration pattern works. And so, you know, besides having Coco for OS X, they also had Carbon that allowed people to bring their older apps easily. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. With PowerPC to Intel shift, we had Rosetta so that it wasn't that hard to translate and make your apps run anyway. Well, yeah, the point being is Apple, this is not the first time Apple has done this. If this is accurate, this is for the fourth. We had 68K to PowerPC. We had the, we had PowerPC to Intel. We had the code, the code divergence between Mac OS and iOS. And here we go again. Now we have a, well, a you, convergence. So uh, OS 9, no, system 9, OS 9 to OS 10. Um yeah. Oh yeah, that yeah, that was a huge one and too. Power was, and power PC I'm counting five. Yeah, that wasn't a hard that wasn't a hardware shift. You're right, but yeah, that's a good shift too. That, that was a painful time. Yeah, right? get mm. so anyway. My, I was thinking of uh, this one company, and I've blanked on their name. The Quark Quark Express Quark Express was a nightmare at that time. You remember that? 
yeah, so, yeah, I do. It's yeah, I was working I was working support at a at a specialist at the time. And yeah, you're right. That was that was not right. Cool. So between OS nine and OS ten, Quark Express did two things. One, they cut off all of their US and, and Western world development and shipped it all to India, which would have been fine. They also tried to convert it all to Java, which would have been fine. At the same time as they tried to move from OS nine to OS ten. Which would have been fine if they'd done any one of these things singly, but trying to do all of them in combination <laughs> was yeah. a nightmare. And, and it's and it's actually honestly quite impressive that they stayed in business at all. And with any with any shift, with any major architectural shift, be it hardware or software, there are going to be horror stories. There are always horror stories. Look, the I'm I'm trying to it was a long time from the power from the uh, power PC the shift to power PC, but there's just some, just on the tip of my tongue. Oh yeah. Most of the control panels broke. Most of the C devs broke. Most of the extensions broke mm -hmm. the, you know, device drivers broke everywhere. Just about every device driver. Broke. It was a and miracle that they were able to make the power PC transition at all. It really right. was because first of all, the company had no money at that time. They had enough money to live for three months. That's, that's how much they had. Apple was down to being able to pay salaries for three months. They had jobs coming in and, and what, mid 97 saying we have to make this transition to power pc and dealing with people who who weren't motivated trying to do it they they hacked the thing together they got it running and that was enough to try and get it out the door but it, every part back then in apple's history was a leap of faith at trying to just stay alive <laughs> yeah that that's not what this is i mean it is an architectural change just the same and you can you can you can feel the winds of change coming and apple insider listeners and readers have have felt the change coming too, and there are some pretty strong opinions about it. And yeah, let's continue the conversation, but let's not assume that we have any kind of sway in what Apple's going to do about it. Uh, no, yeah, our only sway is whether or not we buy the devices, right? Or in the case of the Mac App Store, whether or not we even use it. There yeah. you go. Speaking of software, though, Apple has issued public betas of iOS eleven point two point five and TVOS eleven point two point five. These are the second betas. Mm -hmm. uh, these are the public betas that follow on the heels of the developer seeds. And so, you know, anyone in Apple's public beta software program can go ahead and get them with the correct certificate. The thing that I'm unclear on is there doesn't seem to be any new features uncovered. So this this seems to be probably releases focused on security and maintenance. Yeah, I'm a little puzzled by the 0.5 on that. It, it's it, it's different than what Apple's normally done. I'm running a couple of the betas right now. I've got it on I've got it on one of my Macs here, and I'm not really seeing any problems. I'm seeing some more refinements on the eGPU thing. I've got it on the, on the, on the Apple TV. I'm not seeing anything there. I'm, I'm not seeing any sh imminent shift toward AirPlay 2, which has got to happen sooner rather than later, I'd think at this point, but maybe that's the holdup for the AirPod for the HomePod. I don't know. It's there. There's a lot going on that could be happening, but doesn't seem to be happening. So I, I think we're going to have to see as this beta marches on what gets added or doesn't. Yeah. Now, Speaking about Apple TV, tvOS, so first of all, Apple TV was back on Amazon. This is, of course, no big surprise because we were told that that basically Apple TV would be back at Amazon. No, no, we were told that Apple TV was kicked out of Amazon because it didn't support the Amazon Prime Instant Video. And Customer confusion, Amazon right. said, which is the biggest. Well, it was customer app, confusion anyway. of their own creation. <laughs> yeah, they did it. They're they're the ones responsible for their app on the Apple TV, and they just chose not to do it two years ago. So and now it's back, and so rightfully so, the Apple TV was allowed to sell on Amazon again, and it came back. And you know that it came back is nice. People were watching to see when it would come back, 
We have the app, but we still don't have it back on Amazon. We have the app. We still don't have it back on, on Amazon. All the tweets read. The Apple TV 4K was back on Amazon and sold out within hours of launching. Yeah, it actually was 38 minutes. Wow. Did you time that? Yeah, 38 minutes. Uh, no, I looked through some, some Wayback Machine stuff and some other logs in 38 minutes. Amazing. Hang on a second. I, somebody just broke through my DND, which means it's a very it's a, small amount yeah. of people. G- give, me, give me just one second. Okay, we're good. I can put it off for All a few right. minutes. So the Apple still has some retail availability of the 32 gigabyte model for same day pickup. The 64 yep. gigabyte model is just sold out. You can't get one at Apple. You can't get one at Amazon. Uh, any new order that you place is going to ship four or five weeks after Christmas. I I dig the Apple TV. I don't see the point of the 64 gig one. Not least, not right now. The 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 apps available for it are few and far between, and there's no technical reason that you need the additional storage for media streaming. So right now, frankly, get the 32 gig. You, you don't need the 64 gig. Get the 32 gig. Do the direct TV promo for four months or whatever, however you get one. It, it's there's no compelling reason for the 64 gig. And it, while it's great that people are buying it, I, I'm just not. Yeah, sure. I, I bought 64 gig models of the Apple TV fourth generation. That is the one preceding the 4K. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I have not used all the storage that's on them. I thought that I would. I thought yeah. for sure that there would be a compelling reason to do it, that it would be games, that it would be that it would be uh, video downloaded to the device and stored locally for some occasions. Oh, and I did too. Yeah, I did too. They just never has yet to be a reason. Yep. And I, you know, I've been using it with the Prime app and with the uh, the the comparing it with the Amazon Prime Fire TV devices. And and honestly, I love it as a device. I think Amazon has some work to do on their app. One of the Yes, one of the they best do. things. So this is it. The I I dislike Hulu's new app, and I dislike the the Fire TV app. But I'm glad that it's there, and glad they're both there for the content. And so the best thing is that on the Apple TV, they use Apple's TV app, which is also available on iPads, iPhones, and iOS devices mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you can use the content, you can access the content without having to be subject to Amazon's interface. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think that's a great addition. I would like them to rectify the five one audio situation sooner rather than later. It makes no sense to me that it's only in four K content. Five one audio system. I, I yes. Okay. So I I understand that it may not have been a priority, but the Fire TV supports it. The consoles support it. Just about every smart TV supports. And they got 5-1. it right for the uh, Roku. So what the heck's the problem? Right for Roku. Right. So what's the problem here? So it's it's hard for me to not attribute malice to it, but I have no proof of that. Uh, it just, the, the beta process was long enough. The beta process, the app didn't really change much since the beta was launched in the summer. So what's interesting is that there were people who tried to take the app apart and look inside and see what they could learn from it. And what, what I think people learned from this was that it appears as if the same app is the same app that's being used on smart TVs, that is the same app that is being used on Roku's and all these other devices, and that they're just making one giant monolithic app with support for every device in it. I would be inclined to believe that. It seems to me that the change here was that they just moved over the iOS app, and the iOS app only is only is, uh, is PCM audio. So the I, I just think it's a straight migration from the iOS code base, which has existed for two years. But they were when people took this apart, they saw so, references and, and to Samsung TVs in there. They saw references to all kinds of things. Oh yeah, that 
you, you wouldn't think would be in an iOS app. And there were developers who said, so, was it this much work to port the thing over or could that have been less work if they just clean room started over? Uh, that, that's an interesting question. Not being a developer, I can't really comment on that specifically, but I, as a user, I can say that the, the app is, is, is functional, but there, there's some attention to detail issues. Yep. All the same. I'm glad we have it. Oh yeah. I'm glad too. It, it's, it, it makes the Apple TV, the one box yeah, and, to rule them all. And you and I aren't it's, the only ones that are glad because apparently it's the most popular Apple TV app at launch. Yeah. I, I saw that and that's great. Uh, the, the initial reporting was kind of confused on that where, uh, a, a venue said that they got a statement from Amazon that said that it's the most popular Apple TV of app of all time. And that didn't seem right. So we didn't initially report on it. And we got some clarification over the course of the next couple hours, which is at launch, which is still a nebulous time frame. I've no doubt that the app is extremely popular. I, I would have Amazon Prime for the shipping benefits alone. The video is just a bonus as far as I'm concerned. Well, I think that's how it is for most Amazon Prime subscribers. So it, it's there was no doubt that this was going to be a, a well-downloaded mm. app. I, I'm just going yeah. well, to leave I mean, it at that. This so. is the thing. Is Amazon, when they talk about how great something is or how popular something is, they never specify what that means in numbers. You know, Apple, when they have their quarterly reports, the financial calls, they'll tell you for, for some things, we sold this many of whatever. But <laughs> well, that, yeah. that's the key, right? For some things that they used to break down Mac sales by family. They stopped doing that. They used that to break down decade. iPod sales by family. They, they stopped they, doing that too. <laughs> yep. Yep. And they don't even bother breaking out Apple Watch sales because it's some kind of competitive advantage, which I'm not even clear on. So I, I, you know, Amazon can, has just as many shenanigans as Apple does. So. Right. Or more, but, but still prime video has been a big hit. We, we agree on that, right? Yep. Oh yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It had a ton of first week downloads. Yep. Okay. So that's, that's good. The best part about this is that it does support the integration with the TV app. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Well, we've come to the end, I think. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss? What could there possibly be more to discuss? And what is normally a very slow holiday <laughs> buildup is this the past couple of weeks has been insane for news. It, it has been so much busier this holiday season than in, oh man, in the previous, I want to say 10 years. You know, I'll tell you what we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about title. Nope, we did not. Title apps on Apple TV. There you go. Done. What we didn't talk about is Samsung putting out 180 to 200 million iPhone LED panels in 2018. Yep. Process improvement is always a good thing. And we were pretty sure that was going to happen. So, yep, there you go. Covered it. Samsung is going to make more because Apple's presumably going to make more phones and sell more. Yep. Samsung's going to make more because it makes them money and Apple is more than happy to take the screens. There you go. There you go. Well, this brings us to another end of the Apple Insider podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and tell us about it. I'm I'm Victor Marks. I'm at vmarks on Twitter. Um, Mike, you can go ahead and reach out to Mike or reach out to Neil for that matter and tell Neil how great we were. We'd appreciate it. Or feel free if you like to, to leave a good review on iTunes. We always appreciate those too, and we're grateful for them. We will be back next week with more Apple Insider podcast. So long, everybody.